So, Katie, did you know that in 1935, a French newspaper ran a poll asking people who they wanted to be the dictator of France? <laughs> what? Did they use the word dictator? <laughs> yeah, dictator. And 200,000 people replied. What? And who did they vote for? Philip Paytan. <laughs> The man who did actually become like the perfect dictator of France. So they were like, did they give options or were they just like send whatever I'm not name sure. you want it? I know Paytan came first and then Laval came second, who was like the second in command of the puppet regime. <laughs> so, so I guess weird. the public like got it right. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what people would vote for today in like England. Well, this is the thing, like they obviously like voted for Paytan because he was just like considered like lovely grandpa in France, even though he was like an army general, which isn't really a lovely grandpa. But I mean, like, it's just the dangers. Don't don't trust the lovely grandpa or the bumbling buffoon guy or any of these sort of characters. Don't trust anyone. Yeah, none of these people. And that's the kind of quality facts that you get here <laughs> on Have You Ever Heard Of? And welcome. That's what you're listening to right now. I'm Katie and that's Dan. How are you today, Dan? I'm good. Do you know what I did last night? I, I don't. I wasn't there. So. <laughs> so, obviously, I've talked about that stupid game that I've been developing for fucking years. Yes, I, you have been talking about I it. I managed to do a playthrough yesterday <gasps> against myself. That is the, that's the lows that I've fallen to in my that's life. That's amazing. I played against myself and the Germans did very badly. As they should. <laughs> I just came back from seeing the Turner exhibition at Tate Britain very nice yeah it was good it was like modern turnip it had like a lot of well a lot of turnip but like a I would lot expect... of v- variety <laughs> of turner i would expect it to have a lot of turner if it didn't have a lot of turner it'd be quite disappointing <laughs> it would be a turner exhibition <laughs> i i'd highly recommend it do you want to hear about my thing i do actually yeah okay so it's not a person it's oh, okay. an aspect of a person. Okay, then. Like a beard or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to be talking about Rasputin's beard. No, I did Rasputin. You can go listen to that episode. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about the novels of Jane Austen. Oh, so okay, then. I'm not going to be talking about her personal life. I'm going to be talking about her novels and how they were published, how they were received, and like ah. very small bits about their plot. So we're doing well. like another bumper literary episode, like yes. Mulan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> as most of you probably know, Jane Austen is known for her six major novels. And I'll be talking about those primarily and a little bit around them. Don't know how much you know about Jane Austen, Dan. Have you ever read one of her novels? I have indeed. I did uh, literature for my undergrad. So oh, yes, you I did. I read a lot of Jane Austen. Did you read all of them? No, I read... Pride and Prejudice, Sense of Sensibility, and I think I read something else, but I can't remember. Probably Persuasion, maybe. Maybe that. Okay, that's fantastic. So, just a quick note on Jane Austen. She was born the 16th of December, 1775, and she died on the 18th of July, 1817, at the age of 41. Oh, that is young. It is so young. As I said, she's primarily known for her six major novels. But before her major novels, she wrote something called Duvelina, which is basically the word for childhood writing. So I don't know if you did, but I definitely did when I was a child, like make little novels or something. Yeah, um, I did write some like. And this is Duvelina are what works produced by an author or artist in their youth. 
Okay. And that's the word for it. So three of her notebooks survive, containing early short works, and they're like stories or dramatic sketches or verses or other like fragments. And they're now published in a volume called Love and Friendship, which is one of the titles of one of the stories. I don't know if that's all of them, but if you have one of those collections of Jane Austen, which I do, I have all of them in like a box, you may have Love and Friendship and that's what it is. Uh, okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the novels in chronological order of when they were published. It's a historical way. Yeah, it's not necessarily the chronological order of how they were written. But um, we'll get on to that. Okay. Uh, I'm going to tell you the first line of each of these books <laughs> as a uh, nice little starter. So, do you know the first one? No. Uh, first one is one you've read, Sense and Sensibility. Uh, okay, then. And the first line is very simple. The family of Dashwood had long been settled in Sussex. So we know straight from the off it's about a family called the Dashwood family. So Jane wrote her first draft of the novel in a form of letters this is called an epistolary novel if anyone's read a novel with letters or like other diaries etc that's an epistolary novel she wrote it maybe around 1795 when she was only 19 but some say it's a bit later when she was 21 it's said that she originally gave it the title eleanor and marianne which is the name of the two primary characters she later changed the form to a narrative and changed the title to Sense and Sensibility. She drew inspiration, it has been said, from novels such as Adam Stevenson's Life and Love <laughs> and Jane West's A Gossip Story. Ah, I kind of want to read The Gossip Story. <laughs> uh, to me, I just read that as like a Regency gossip girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The plot of Sense of Sensibility uh, follows the Dashwood sisters, Eleanor, who is 19, and Marianne, who is 16 and a half, as they come of and age. And a half. Got to get that half in. Yeah. This is very important in <laughs> these times. They also have a half-brother called John and a younger sister called Margaret. Basically, what happens is their mother is widowed, and the estate that they grew up in, Norton Park, passes down to their half-brother, John, because he is the man, and our oldest. And so the Dashwood women, the four of them, have to find a new home and they rent a small home called Barton Cottage on the property of a distant relative called Sir John Middleton. The idea is that Eleanor, the oldest, is more sensible and Marianne is more emotional, hence sense and sensibility. Mm -hmm. It's set in southwest England and Sussex and it's set probably between 1792 and 1797. Austin probably also drew from her knowledge of a man called Warren Hastings, the first governor-general of India, who she portrayed in her novel as Colonel Brandon. The novel, which sold out of its first print run of 750 copies in the middle of 1813, marked the first success for Austen. On the title page, it did not say her name. It said, by a lady. So they knew it was by <laughs> a woman, but not her Just name. by a lady. Nondescript lady. lady. Just a lady. It had a second print run a year later, and it was the first Austen title to be republished in England after her death. So it's been republished a number of times, as I'm sure you know. It was produced in Richard Bentley's standard novel series of 1833, which we hear a lot about. That's a tiny print run, isn't it? 750. But that was the first print, and then a year later they had a second print run. It's like, that's like academic texts, isn't it? Like, that's like the library yeah. print run, where you have to pay like £150 for the book. Tiny, but big for a lady. 
Big for a lady, for a nondescript lady. <laughs> so the novel has been in continuous publication since 1811 and has many times been illustrated, abridged and adapted for stage, film and television. And if you're looking for A Sense of Sensibility to watch, I would suggest the Emma Thompson, Kate Winslet, Alan Rickman extravaganza of greatness. <laughs> yes. That's good I believe it's on Netflix that, or that Amazon. Is full of talent. It's so good. Um, yeah, Emma Thompson plays Eleanor. So, second novel. Second novel is probably her best known novel, known and loved. Pride and Prejudice oh, was yes. published. The difficult in sequel. She pulled it off. She pulled her out of the bag. <laughs> and the first line, well known by everyone, is It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. <laughs> So Austin began writing her novel after staying in Goodenstone Park in Kent with her brother Edward and his wife in 1796. It's a lovely part of the country. Yep. She was very close to her family, her brothers and her sister Alexandra. And a lot of Edwards turn up in her books. Lots of lovely Edwards. (laughs) Felix and Edward. It was originally titled First Impressions and was written in just under a year. On the 1st of November 1797, Austin's father sent a letter to a London bookseller called Thomas Cadell to ask if he had interested in seeing the manuscript, but the offer was just declined by return post. Imagine turning down Pride and Prejudice. Oh, <laughs> what a red face that guy has. That's like the, the uh, publisher that turned down Harry Potter. That the person. many many publishers they definitely don't have jobs anymore <laughs> but turned down it's like seven really yeah wow bluesbury are like just making all of their money off harry potter <laughs> so at this time the militia were mobilized after the french declaration of war in britain in february of 1793 oh, yeah. revolutionary war time yeah, and there was initially a lack of barracks for the militia regiments, requiring the militia to set up huge camps in the countryside. And if you know Pride and Prejudice, you know that this is referred to many times. Austin made significant revisions to the manuscript for first impressions between 1811 and 1812. Nothing remains of the original manuscript, so we're kind of, you know, reduced mm. to conjecture on what she changed. From the large number of letters in the final novel, as, again, if you've read it, you know, it is assumed that First Impressions was originally in an epistolary novel, like her ah, she... previous Sense of Sensibility as well. She later renamed the story of Pride and Prejudice around 1812, when she sold the rights to publish the manuscript to Tom's Edgerton for £110, which is the equivalent to about seven to £8,000. Yeah. It's possible that the novel's original title was altered to avoid confusion with other works. In years between the completion of First Impressions and its revision to Pride and Prejudice, two other works have been published under the name First Impressions. So a novel and a comedy. So the plot, I'm not going to describe it in much detail <laughs> because most of you probably know it. So you've got Mr. Bennett of Longburn Estate. He has five daughters, no sons. Both property is entailed and can only be passed to a male heir. So his wife also lacks an inheritance, so the family would be destitute upon the death of him. Thus, it is imperative that at least one of the girls marry well to support the others, which is basically the motivation behind the entire plot. Man, the 1800s sucked. (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. This is basically the theme of this podcast. The novel revolves around the importance of marrying for love rather than money or social prestige, despite the communal pressure to make a wealthy match. The best known characters are Elizabeth Bennet, the dynamic protagonist, and Mr. Darcy, the proud but wealthy heartthrob. (laughs) (laughs) Its humour really lies in its description of, like, manners and education and marriage and money during the Regency period in England. Pride and Prejudice has consistently appeared in lists of most loved books among scholars and the public. It has one of the most popular novels in English literature with over 20 million copies sold and has inspired many many things such as tv film you know unofficial sequels like death comes to pemberley lots and lots of adaptations including a zombie one which is pretty good (laughs) i would suggest the bbc adaptation personally over the film with kira knightley because the BBC adaptation, in my opinion, is fabulous. Yeah. So please go and watch that one if you haven't seen it. <laughs> I'm sure all of you have. So um, Edgerton, the guy who is now Austin's publisher, published the first edition of Pride and Prejudice in three hardcover volumes on the 28th of January, 1813. It was advertised in the Morning Chronicle, priced at eight shillings. Favourable reviews saw this edition sell out, with a second edition published in October that year, and a third edition published in 1817. Foreign language editions first appeared in 1813, which went straight after it was published, in French, and subsequent translations published in German, Danish, and Swedish. Wow. While Britain was still at war with France. Just getting some... Yeah. That's impressive. Sending some... Pride and Prejudice over there. It was also published in the United States in August of 1832 as Elizabeth Bennet or Pride and Prejudice. Oh, it took a while to get over there. Well, it's still pretty impressive, 1832, for a lady. (laughs) It was, again, also included in Richard Bentley's standard novel series in 1833. The novel was originally published anonymously, as all of Austen's novels were, whereas instead of writing just a lady... It was by the author of Sense and Sensibility. Fair. It's a good uh, marketing trick. Feed off the uh, the success of the first novel. It's quite interesting that it got published in France, actually. Because, I mean, like... For instance, I mean, like, World War Two, Like, if a new book had been published in, like, Britain, it would never have been published in Germany. It would have been considered, like, enemy propaganda or something. I'm not sure literature had such a... Like, you know, if you think about the Nazis, they had a big thing against them, Yeah, that's true. You know, I think that's not, not such a thing. I think, actually, like, there were French novels here at that time. Yeah. So, obviously, this also began to consolidate Austen as an author. And all of her, like, subsequent works were the author of her published work. So, the next one would be, like, the author of Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice. Just gonna add, keep adding the titles. Keep adding them. Just gonna have a lovely list on that front cover. So next one up is Mansfield Park in 1814. That's the one I read. <laughs> well, this is the reason I decided to do it because I have been listening to the amazing Audible collection, and Mansfield Park is narrated by Billy Piper with a cast, like a full cast. Mm-hmm. And I thought I'd listen to the the. Ones I hadn't read, which are Mansfield Park and Persuasion. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I finished Mansfield Park and I'm now on to Persuasion. 
And I quite enjoyed Mansell Park, but it is said to be one of her more controversial novels. So uh, let's listen to the first line. I've actually shortened it because it's a really long first sentence. (laughs) So I'm just going to do a bit. About 30 years ago, Miss Maria Ward of Huntington, with only £17, had the good luck to captivate Sir Thomas Bertram of Mansfield Park. So, Mansfield Park is the novel, as I said, and it was published in 1814 by Thomas Edgerton. A second edition was published in 1816 by John Murray, which is still within Austen's lifetime, but it didn't receive any public reviews until 1821. Okay. The story revolves around what my mum calls the wimpy protagonist, Fanny Price. (laughs) She lives with her aunt, uncle, and cousins at Mansfield Park, as her family were less well off and unable to keep all the children that they had. She's got four cousins, two girls, who are looking for marriage, and two boys, uh, one of whom is partying and one of whom is becoming a clergyman. <laughs> They've also got some friends who are kind of the bad characters <laughs> in, in inverted commas. Like, I kind of hated them for most of the novel. Early critical reception has been was really diverse, differing particularly from the, over the character of the heroine. So basically, people either thought that Fanny was... A good heroine, as she's different, or they thought that she was a wimp. <laughs> it was a first ignored by reviewers, but really successful with the public. So okay. as long as you're making money, I mean... it's fine. First printing in 1814 sold out within six months. Second printing in 1816 also sold out. And the first critical view in 1821 was by a name named Richard Watley, and it was positive. Regency critics praise the novel's wholesome morality. So there's a lot about about morality in Mansfield Park, as you may remember. Mm. The Victorian consensus treated Austen's novels as a social comedy. In 1911, a reviewer restored the moral perspective, praising Mansfield Park for being artistic while having deeply at the heart of the importance of certain truths about conduct. In the 1970s, Mansfield Park was considered Austen's more, more controversial novel. In 1974, an American literary critic called Joe Weisenheimer, I think that's how you pronounce his name, described Mansfield Park as perhaps the most profound of her novels and certainly the most problematic. Hmm. Another American scholar was more negative, describing it as the most eccentric and Austen's greatest failure. He said that the novel had an inane heroine, a pompous hero, a ponderous plot, and a viperish satire. So later in the 20th century, it developed more diverse readings, including feminist and post-colonial criticism, but most influential being Edward Said's Jane Austen and the Empire in 1983. So some have continued to attack and some praise. Mansfield Park is a really diverse novel, like I said, Even I don't know where I stand on it. I actually really enjoyed listening to it, but Mm. I don't know if I'd enjoy reading it as much because it was like because they did it in a in a kind of dramatic style. Yeah, I'm wondering if that was that played on how much I liked it, and I like Billy Piper's voice as well as the narrator. I I really wanted to like Fanny and be on her side, but like my mum said, she is a bit of a wimp. (laughs) So yeah, a lot of the time I was like, you need to get over yourself. It's quite a uh, change from the strong characters of like the previous novels. Yes, though in 
2014, celebrating 200 years since the novel's publication, Paula Bryan wrote, Ignore its uptight reputation, Mansfield Park seethes with sex and explores England's murkiest corners. She called it a pioneering for being about mediocrity. So I think that is quite a good analysis, in my opinion. It's been a long time since I've read it. It's been like 15 years or something. Fanny is no Elizabeth Bennet, but nobody is. So if you're expecting novels better, <laughs> you're going to be disappointed. However, we're coming up to another great heroine, in my opinion. And this is Emma in 1815. So the first line of Emma is so good. It just sets the like scene for the whole novel. Emma Woodhouse, handsome, clever, and rich, with a comfortable home and happy disposition, seemed to unite some of the best blessings of existence, and had lived nearly every 21 years in the world with very little distress or vexer. (laughs) I love that first line. It's just like, oh, great. She's having a great time. She loves it. (laughs) So basically, Emma is kind of a matchmaking story. It's about youth and romance and misunderstandings. It's kind of like a Shakespearean comedy of errors. <clears throat> it's set in the fictional country village of Highbury and the surrounding estates of Hartfield, Randalls and Dornwell Abbey. And it involves the relationships of people around that area and many families. The novel was first published in December 1815, but the title page actually dates 1816. As with her other novels she explores the difficulties of genteel women in Georgian Regency England. So difficult being (laughs) handsome and rich. Emma is about marriage, sex, age and social status. Before she began the novel, Austin wrote I am going to take a heroine who no one but myself will much like. (laughs) I like Emma. I think it's really cool. She's kind of spoiled and headstrong, self-satisfied, and she overestimates her own matchmaking abilities. She's blind to the dangers of meddling in other people's lives, and her imagination and perceptions often lead her astray. Emma was written after the publication of Pride and Prejudice and was submitted to publisher John Murray in the second in autumn of 1815. He offered Austin £450 for this, plus the copyrights of Mansfield Park and Sense of Sensibility, which she refused. Instead, she published 2,000 copies of the novel of her own expense, retaining the copyright and paying a 10% commission to Murray. The publication in December 1815, though it was dated the next year, consisted of a three-volume set, and the price was £1, one shilling, which is a guinea per set. Prior to the publication, Austen's novels had come to the attention of the Prince Regent at the time, and this resulted in the first dedication in Emma being dedicated to the Prince Regent. So this would be Regent Prince George, right? From Blackadder III. Yes, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. She dedicated it to Hugh Laurie. Amazing. (laughs) Imagine. (laughs) So in America, back to America, copies of the first publication were sold for $4 a copy in 1818, as well as the number of copies of this edition is, is unknown, but it was there was another edition in 1833, and then again in 1838, so it must have been popular. The French edition was published in 1816, and a second French version was published for the Austrian market as well. Richard Bentley reissued Emma in 1883 in his 
set of novels that I've been talking about all the way through. The standard mm. novels. This issue did not contain <laughs> the dedication page to the Prince Regent. <laughs> oh man! Emma has remained in continuous education for the remainder of its time, and editions have been translated into all sorts of languages, including Arabic, Chinese, Danish, Dutch, German, Italian, etc. I want to see the uh, the recent film of this. With, uh, I've seen it. Is it good? It's fantastic. I, I really love... Um, Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah. She is my wife. <laughs> she doesn't know it yet, but she is. But yeah, it's really, really good. I would recommend it to anyone. It's Anya Taylor-Joy as Emma, Bill Nighy as her father. Would you say that she's had like a... The, the character of Emma has had like a, a massive effect on, on like... Um, just like f- female like British characters in... Especially like sitcoms and stuff. Yeah, she's she's like a kind of she's she wants to be a matchmaker, but she doesn't see like the quote unquote love that's standing in front of her. So her yeah. love interest in this is Mister Unlikely, who is an older man. But mm-hmm. in the film, it's not played by an older guy. It's played by Johnny Flynn, who you may know from oh, yeah. um, the TV show Love Sick. It was really good, and their chemistry is absolutely amazing. So okay. I would definitely suggest it. It's very quirky. It's very bright colours. It's very yeah. comic. It's a comedy, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's how it should be intended. Yeah. So I didn't give you a rundown of the plot really, but the the plot is Emma is a bad matchmaker, <laughs> <laughs> and she like fannies about, <laughs> and she realizes she loves Mister Knightley. That's it. That's it. That's the whole thing. There's no like drama. There's drama in, but it's comedy drama, really. Okay, so prior to the publishing, John Murray had a reader called William Gifford, basically a reviewer, who said of Emma, I have nothing but good to say. I was sure of the writer before you mentioned her. So he could tell it was by the same person who wrote the previous novels, which is really great. Distinctive style. All of the early reviews of Emma were generally favourable and much more numerous of her other novels. So this was like her, her like hit, her like mainstream. This I is like her, so. her smells like teen spirit. <laughs> yeah, this one. <laughs> uh, one of the important reviews, which was published in the Quarterly Review in March of 1816, the subjects are not often elegant, they certainly never grand, but they're finished up to nature and with a precision that delights the reader. Like a look at life as opposed to grand narratives. Yeah, exactly. So Emma was Austen's last novel to be published during her lifetime. And like others, like we've just talked about, has been adapted in a number of films, TV programmes and stage plays. The other film is Griff Poucho. The original film. But I would suggest mm. the Taylor Joy one because she is my wife. Okay. <laughs> so, coming up next, posthumously published, is my favourite Austin, which is Northanger Abbey, published in 1818. And the first line is, No one who had ever seen Catherine Morland in her infancy would have supposed her born out to be a heroine. <laughs> So harsh. Northanger Abbey is a coming-of-age novel and a satire of gothic novels. It was completed in 1803, so it was obviously written a lot before it was published, but obviously it was posthumously published in, like, 1818. 1817, 18. 
This wasn't like a Silmarillion situation, was it? Where they just kind of like... It's not a prequel. <laughs> <laughs> but like really old and they just filled in the gaps. Oh, it's not finished. We'll just make it up. No, this is a finished novel, but we will get on to the unfinished novels as okay, well. Okay, then. So oh, this man. is a finished novel. Oh, boy. Novel. So the story contains Catherine Morland, who is 17. So it's kind of... The reason I like this is kind of like a YA novel. <laughs> she is on a journey to a better understanding herself and the world around her. She lacks life experience, but is determined to always see the best in people. Her appearance is, quote, pleasing and, when in good looks, pretty. <laughs> so, like, when she tries, she's <laughs> all right. She's reading some gothic novels and she has an active imagination which can kind of skew her interpretation of the real-life events going on around her. She's really sweet and good-natured, but often naive, and she doesn't see, like, the love that's right in front of her, kind of oh. like Emma. And she has this really, like, sarcastic humour, which she shares with her, with the uh, Henry Tilney, the love interest. According to notes written by Austin's sister Cassandra, the novel was finished around 17... 98 or 1799 because mm-hmm. the style is more closer to her juvenilia that's kind of it kind of makes sense however the references to several gothic novels published in 1794 would indicate that she didn't finish the book until when cassandra said that she did okay so like why didn't she publish this earlier is this like a case of like the uh the famous artist has died and they're just like trawling through the backrats catalogue no, I think she said... Check out all the B-sides to see what we can find. I, I don't think she was planning on dying. <laughs> so <laughs> I think she Fair was play. like getting it ready for publication. Okay. So the scholar Cecile M. Den argued that the differences between Catherine portrayed in the Bath section at the beginning versus Catherine at Northanger Abbey were due to the fact that Austen was finishing the book at a different stage in her life than when she started, which kind of makes yeah, sense. Yeah, because that's going to be quite jarring, isn't it? After like... The life expectancy. I mean, experiences. I mean, if I went back to some of the stuff that I wrote when I was, I don't know, like 21 at university, I don't think I could do it. Like, it would just be... It's a completely different, yeah, world. I'd be a different human. So, fundamentally, it's a it's a parody of gothic fiction, which was especially popular in the 1790s and the turn of the 19th century. So, she kind of upends conventions of 18th century novels by making her heroine kind of plain and indistinguished from middle-class family, allowing her to fall in love with the hero before he has serious thoughts of her, which is kind of different to before. If you think about Pride and Prejudice or Sensibility or even Emma, it's always like the guy who falls in love with the girl first, except actually in Mansfield Park. But in this Mm. one... She kind of doesn't know what's happening until right at the end. <laughs> Literally <laughs> right at the end. But she has this bit of plot where she thinks that there's a murder happened and there's this kind of like comedy thing about her mixing it up in her head with like the gothic novels that she's a fan of. And she's got this friend who's, you know, I imagine is like a goth. Obviously she wouldn't be a goth because <laughs> it's Regency, but like, Everyone's a goth in this. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like that, that kind of goth <laughs> friend. And it's just, it's really good. I really like North Angrabi. If you haven't read any Austens and you're like a young person, like, I would really consider starting with North Angrabi because it's, it's fun and weird and kind of gothic. It's kind of like the twilight <laughs> of Austen. Was this kind of like a, a dig or like a, a like, I don't know, yeah, a dig, I guess. 
I got like the Brontes, but I guess the Bron if she wrote it really early, then it, it would have been before the Brontes. Yeah. So like anyway, the Brontes were actually like reviewers of Austen. <laughs> so, oh really? Like, they actually reviewed some of her books. Yeah. So let's move on. Next up, we have the one I'm listening to right now, which is Persuasion, which is posthumously published in 1818, so the year after or the same year as Northanger Abbey. The first line is. I'm going. I cut this down as well because the first line is like f- a paragraph, so I've cut this down. But <laughs> Sir Walter Elliot of Kellynch Hall in Somersetshire was a man who, for his own amusement, never took up any book but the Baronetage, which is I don't know if you know that. It's kind of like aristocratic families of England and like oh, their yeah, okay, their then. family heritage. So <laughs> you can tell something of his character before you even <laughs> write in the first line. So Persuasion is the last novel fully completed by Jane Austen. It was published at the end of yeah, like eighteen eighteen or eighteen seventeen, depending on the story concerns Anne Elliot, a young English woman of twenty seven years, whose family moves to lower their expenses and reduce their debt by renting their home to an admiral and his wife. The wife's brother is a Navy captain of Frederick Wentworth, who was engaged to Anne, and then they broke the engagement because she was persuaded by her friends and family to end the relationship. Then they are both single, and then they come back together seven years later, and stuff happens. You can kind of gather where that's going. She is a very interesting heroine. She's about the same age as Elizabeth, well, I think exact same age as Elizabeth Bennet, and she's very mature. A lot more mature than than Emma, or than Mansfield Park, Fanny, or than Northanger Abbey, Catherine. The novel was very well received in the 19th century, but its greater fame came in the 20th and 21st centuries. There's been much scholarly debate on Austen's work since it's been published, and Elliot is noteworthy among Austen's heroines because, like I said, of her maturity. Also, the work in general is seen as her most matured work. It was her last finished one, and it shows a refinement of literary conception, and it was good. So she, it's been... There have been several adaptations. There have been four made-for-television adaptations, theatre productions, radio broadcasts, and other literary works. I don't think I've seen, like, a film, though. Yeah. Like, a made-for-TV film, but not, like, a film film. So maybe at some point... To be honest, I'm not sure it would work as a film. Emma's very funny. It's like a comedy. Mm. And obviously Pride and Prejudice, Sensibility, they're romances. I'm just not sure about Persuasion yet. I haven't finished it yet. Yeah, so Austen clearly had this novel in her head to be published. She wrote in a letter to her niece, Fanny Knight, in March 1817, that she has a novel which may appear in about 12 months hence. And that was just before she died. So she must have already had this novel, like, in her head to be published. Mm -hmm. John Murray published Persuasion together with Northanger Abbey in a four-volume set in December 17... uh, 1817, but dated 1818. That's why I said, like, the two dates because it's confusing mm. the austin family retained the copyright of 1750 copies which sold very rapidly and their later editions were sold separately two books the title of the book is not jane austen's but her brother henry's who named it after her death there's no known okay. source that documents of what austin attended intended to call her novel whatever intentions might have been she spoke of the novel as the elliot's according to the family, and some critics believe that this is probably the title she had planned for it. 
Henry Austin supplied a biographical note of his sister in which her identity is revealed in the publication of Persuasion. So she so that's the first time she's is no longer yeah no longer an anonymous author. So we're going to talk about three more things. So those are her six novels. Mm-hmm. We have a couple more things to talk about. One of them is Lady Susan, published in 1871 posthumously. And it starts, My dear brother, I can no longer refuse myself the pleasure of profiting by your kind invitation when we last parted of spending some weeks with you at Churchill. Dot, dot, dot. So Lady Susan is a short epistolary novel by Jane Austen, probably written in 1794, but not published until 1871. So quite a time after wow. she had died. Yeah, that is. Like 60 years after. Mm. This early complete work, which the author never submitted for publication, describes the schemes of the title character. Lazy Susan Vernon, a beautiful and charming recent widow, visits her brother and sister-in-law, Charles and Catherine Vernon, with little advance notice at Churchill in their country residence. She is around 35 or 36, so like this is middle-aged at that time. Mm-hmm. And she's the daughter of an earl. She's only been a widow six months, but she's known to flagrantly manipulate and seduce single and married men. So the theme and the focus are moral issues, close to a lot of her other works, but with a very different outlook. So Lady Susan has very few parallels in 19th century literature, she's selfish, she's unscrupulous, she's scheming, she's highly attractive to men, and she is unashamed about her relationship with a married man. She subverts all of the standards of a romantic novel, and she has an active role, not only being beautiful and witty, um, but also kind of kind of slutty. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, because that is how I picture most people being, well, especially from like the upper classes. What, kind of slutty? <laughs> Yeah, basically, men and, <laughs> men and women. Everyone was just having affairs with everyone. It's interesting because in this, in later season, the ending includes, like, a reward for morality. Mm-hmm. And she is treated much more leniently than in Mansfield Park. There's an adultery storyline of Mansfield Park mm-hmm. who is severely punished. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's kind of weird that she wrote two novels that are quite different but it was completed during her lifetime and she never published it so i almost feel like maybe she didn't want it to be published yeah you know what i mean like if you if you don't set out to publish something maybe you never wanted it to be i haven't actually read lady susan and it's not in my set of my beautiful set Mm -hmm. of um jane austen novels that my mum bought me a couple of years ago it's not there whereas love and friendship is and i just yeah i don't know how i feel about it it's one of those ones where i'm like yeah um, yeah, it doesn't tickle my fancy. Obviously, this is an interesting aspect of like um, Jane Austen, though. Like, it does kind of cover up that aspect of a uh, of like the transactional like aspect of relationships. That was like, that's what it is. So it is. I mean, like that's she's trying to find like for instance, Pride and Prejudice, trying to find a husband to take care of the sisters. They need the money and the support. Yeah, but Elizabeth Bennet isn't isn't trying to find a husband. She is. She is trying to find love, but she's not actively, not in the way that her sisters are. It's true. So in that way, she's a different heroine. Anyway, so we have two more titles mm-hmm. to talk about to finish up. So these are the unfinished works. So Austin began working on an untitled novel about 1803 while she was living in Bath and probably abandoned it after her father's death in January 1805. It had no formal chapter divisions. It's about 7,500 words long. And the fragment was given the title of The Watsons, 
and published in 1871 by the novelist nephew James Edward Austin Lee. In the revised and augmented edition of his memoir, uh, of his a memoir of Jane Austen, so it's published within a memoir. The original manuscript is one of the most expensive in the world, and it sold in 2011 for 1.8 million dollars. Mm. For 750, like 7,500 words for 1.8 million dollars. <laughs> that is a lot of money per word. Not, I can't bother to do the maths, sure. but that's a lot of money per word. Okay. I'm sure, I'd get paid that so much. So that's our first word. unfinished novel. Our second one is the probably better known. In January 1817, so right before her death, she began work on a new novel called The Brothers, later titled Sanditon, which had completed 11 chapters before stopping in mid March 1817, probably because of her illness. R.W. Chapman first published a full transcription of the novel in 1925 under the name. A fragment of a novel. The novel centres on Charlotte Hayward, the eldest of the daughters still at home, in the large family of a country gentleman from Willingdon, Sussex. Because Austen completed like the scene setting for the novel, a lot of people have tried to complete it. It's one of the most like completed novels, you know, like <laughs> unfinished completed novels. And most recently you may have seen there was an ITV production. It was only like last year or the year before, and they planned to make uh, two more seasons of it. I don't know Okay. how they finished it. I haven't read the original. I I want to to see if I agree with how they finish it. <laughs> and I probably won't just out of spite. But yeah, those are the novels of Jane Austen finished and unfinished. That never sits right with me when people try and uh, finish other people's novels. Yeah, so there's actually do you, you know um, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo novels? Yeah. So there's three of those, which are mm. absolutely stunning novels, and oh, I yeah. everyone should read them. I loved, loved, loved them. And then there was like a there's a fourth, fifth one published by a different author using mm-hmm. the same characters. Yeah, yeah. I got halfway through the fourth one and I just I couldn't. Mm. But interesting, I found out today actually. I found this out today that there's a fourth novel, <laughs> which was found on his laptop because you know Steve Larson died. Before his before the sensation of the books, yeah, like, yeah, he actually died. Like, yeah, he had um, he walked up seven flights of stairs and had a heart attack. Harsh times because the lift was broken. Oh my gosh, guys, just wait for the lift to be fixed. <laughs> so yeah, there's a fourth one that's like on his laptop, but the family, his family, are in some sort of legal dispute with his partner about okay. who has the rights to the novel. Oh man, so. Yeah. Goddamn greed is preventing us from <laughs> reading this novel. I mean, is it even finished? I don't know. I can't. I don't know if it's if it's finished. I want to read it. We're <laughs> gonna bloody Silmarillion. Aren't they? But also, like, <laughs> it was a really good wrap up. The third book. Yeah. I really don't need any more. I f- See, it's gonna be a genuine Silmarillion. It's gonna be a prequel. How is it gonna be a prequel? There's know. always the first two chapters of the They're first book like, are a prequel. Silmarillion it. I just wanna shoehorn that back in there. <laughs> <laughs> so which of Austin's novels that you haven't read are you now interested in pursuing? Emma, but I'm I'm not gonna read the novel, I'm just gonna watch the film. Yeah, watch the film. <laughs> I think you'd enjoy Northanger Abbey as well. You like you like Gothic. I do like Gothic, yeah. Thank you for listening to my rundown of Jane Austen. What are you gonna have for dinner today, Dan? I'm going to have cashew nut and pork with celery. Nice. Typical Cantonese dish. Apart from the pork bit, sounds good. (laughs) I've been told 
by my PT. Yes, I went to a PT session. <gasps> did you now? I did, and mm. it was the most workout I've ever worked out. It's my brother's profession. I know, your hot brother. <laughs> yeah, so that I need to eat more protein, which I totally do. It's hard for vegetarians to get protein. Do you know protein. what the best source of protein is? Peanut butter. A little bit of meat. Some pork, <laughs> goddammit. <laughs> now I'm going to put some fucking seeds in my smoothies. Oh boy. Um, and stuff like that. But yeah, I've got like corners protein. So I'm going to have an omelette today. <laughs> omelette du fromage. So thank you everyone for listening. Please come back next time and review if you want to. No pressure. Just click on those five stars. It helps us with the algorithm. And uh, share and subscribe. All those things. We're all listening to this. And follow us. <laughs> on social media at Have You Ever Pod. Instagram and Twitter. And come back next time. Bye. Bye.